Hi, I'm Graham McLennan, and one of the goals I set for season two of the podcast was to spend more time in restaurant kitchens. Friends in my hometown of Gibsons, BC, helped me do just that a few weeks ago. Let's get started. Talking to chefs, and sometimes lawyers, but always to people who love food. It's Chef Demoni. Here's your host, Graham McLennan. I'm really excited to bring you today's episode from the Sunshine Coast of British Columbia. We're actually on the mainland here, but we are separated from Vancouver by a short ferry ride. The whole coast is small town or smaller with ocean and trees and beauty everywhere. I love it. Over the last couple of years, the coast has seen a lot of development. And while there is the inevitable controversy that comes with that, let's focus today on how great the culinary scene is getting here. And one of the main reasons for that improvement is Buono Osteria. And that's a one-year-old Italian restaurant that's right in the heart of the village of Gibsons. The two forces behind that place are Chef Mike Buono and the restaurant's director of hospitality, Ryan Kingsbury. A few Sundays ago, they were putting on a really interesting dinner. They do long table dinners sometimes that they combine with their regular service. And they, they have the long table dinner in a separate room. And on this Sunday, they were creating dishes that were to be matched with gin-based drinks using gins from local small batch BC distillers. So that sounded like a really fun night to join the kitchen team. And both Chef Mike and Ryan welcomed me into the restaurant. And I spent a really fun few hours helping out with the cooking. After I finished that and before sitting down with Mike and Ryan, I recorded a few sounds from the kitchen, which was one of the other goals for this season. So I'll take you there in just a minute. You'll hear from Steve, who is the sous chef at Buono Osteria. And Steve, thanks very much for looking out for me on that Sunday service shift and for involving me in some really fun cooking. You'll also hear from Ryan, who's the guy behind the wonderful wood-fired pizzas, and from Nigel, who was the dishwasher when I was there on that Sunday. Unfortunately, I didn't get to speak to Nova. She was one of the other cooks working that night but hopefully another time you'll hear a reference during this quick audio clip to a classic roman dish cacio e pepe and chef was cooking that as i was walking through his kitchen i can tell you it's a wonderful dish because very shortly after this recording my fiance and i sat down at the bar seats at buono and had that dish and it was man it was wonderful so if you ever go the cacio e pepe have it all right so let's go now a few sundays ago from the kitchen at buono osteria all right, there we go, back live in the kitchen at Guano, where I've spent most of the evening tonight. Steve is now tidying up. How would you say service was tonight? Because there, the, uh, there was the party dinner of 18. Was that sort of, uh, find that distracting or okay with the, with the regular service? Uh, I was fine with the regular service. Yeah, yeah it's uh, usually like what we've been doing with these parties is a lot of either one or two people go and just play at the parties, and then another two people will just kind of hang back and put out a la carte stuff. Unless we're like super swamped on a la carte, we'll kind of hold off on the party and then put out the next course. All right. So tonight was really smooth on that part. Nice, it came together well. All right, now chef, we've got, ah, I recognize the orders because we yes. just put them in. Yes, you did. Cacio e pepe and the, what is the pasta here, the bucatini? The wild mushroom bucatini. So the, the cacio e pepe, you start with, um, with butter, pepper, salt, Ooh. and then it's just pasta water that you're that you're uh, reducing with it. Yeah, exactly. First, you want to toast off the pepperboards. It's going to give you a nice floral aroma into the dish. Then we just add the pasta water. What we want is the starches in the water to help reduce and create a bit of a creaminess to the sauce. From there, we add the cheese, and it kind of blends together to make a 
you know, nice light sauce. Very simple, classic Roman dish, just really two ingredients. And I was reading you're a, you're a fan of foraging for uh, mushrooms. So is, yeah, this, is this something that's really, um, is this one of the things you like about the coast, I guess, is the question? Oh, absolutely. Yellowfoot chanterelles are definitely a great winter mushroom. So that's one of the ones that we're using in this dish here. Uh, getting out into the forest is kind of a nice way to decompress from the noisy kitchen, get somewhere really nice and quiet, it gives you an opportunity to kind of reflect and think. Uh, one of those things that I love to do is just go out forage, so. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, listen, I'll, I'll let you get to work and I'm just gonna wander around sure. and, uh, and have a chat and I'll see Absolutely. you at the bar. There we go, Nigel. Do you mind answering a question? How's your night been? You've been uh, you've been working away pretty consistently here in the. I'm pretty tired. Uh, tired. Okay, fair enough. Is this typical for a Sunday, or is this uh, busier because of the long table dinner? It's busy because of the long table dinner. Yeah. And I'll be having my cider pretty soon in about okay. ten minutes. In about ten minutes. Nice. Do you have that while you're uh, tidying up? Yeah, while I'm finishing <laughs> off. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. It's been a pleasure working with you, Brian. I'm just grabbing a bit of audio for this little podcast I do. So, do you mind telling me just a little bit about the pizza oven again while we're uh, while you're while you're trying to work here? I'll just stand in your space and ask you questions. I, what can I tell you? Well, the, well, just tell me. Like, how long does it take you? It's a it's a genuine wood fired oven. I've seen you uh, throwing wood chunks into it all night. How long does it take to uh, come up to temp, and what do you get it up to? Ooh, well, we're, ideally we're cooking at 850. Yeah. But before we were cooking it at a higher temp, but uh, in order to be able to cook more than one or two pizzas we need to lower the the heat down yeah i don't know it takes about like five minutes to get up to temperature so, oh is that right yeah, once yeah, you yeah. get the oven rocking but we're rocking wood all night like it's just non-stop we're just feeding this beast we've got so much wood downstairs like <laughs> <laughs> well you're in the right part of the world aren't you yeah, yeah, yeah exactly awesome okay and then how long once you got it to temp how long are you talking uh, once the pizza goes in there not even like a minute, a minute, a minute, a minute yeah. and a half. Yeah, tops right. a minute and a half. Okay. And I saw you. You're, you're working the peel pretty consistently, moving it around. Yep, I've gotten yeah. a feel for it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any number? Any idea how many pizzas you've made? Chef, <laughs> chef what do you figure? I'm almost at eight thousand. You think? Analytics on everything that we do, so yeah. it's kind of fun yeah. to look from the beginning till now and. We right, told him that when right. he hits 10,000 pizzas, we're going to get him a gold pizza. <laughs> gold, yes. Give him a free pizza. I'm, wait, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> Thank you. So I hope that gives you a sense of what was happening in the kitchen on that Sunday night. And then just after I recorded that, I sat down with Mike and with Ryan. So to give you a little bit of background, Chef Mike Buono, he is a BC boy. He originally started out going to UBC, the University of British Columbia, and playing football. And those of you who are sports fans, and particularly those of you who are fans of Canadian football, will undoubtedly recognize Mike's last name. His family is, let's just say, very, very well known in the Canadian football world. But after doing that for a while, Mike decided that he wanted to take a different path, so he followed another of his family's traditions and passions, and that's cooking. So he went to culinary school and then worked his way through various restaurants and ultimately ended up here, happily, on the Sunshine Coast and opening his own space, Buono Osteria. You're also going to hear from Ryan Kingsbury, and Ryan actually speaks first in the interview. That's how the, you'll tell them apart at the beginning. 
Uh, Ryan, another fascinating guy. You'll hear that he's got some management background. He's got a ton of background on the front of house hospitality side. But, and I found this really interesting, he decided that he couldn't do the front of house job really, really well without fully understanding the back of house. So Ryan actually went through a culinary program himself and spent some time in the kitchen. So I've got nothing but respect for that. These days though, Ryan is the director of hospitality, so he'll be the guy looking after you in the front of house. All right, so join me now. We were seated at a wonderful table looking out at the darkening water and sky after the Sunday service. Here I am with Mike Buono and Ryan Kingsbury at Buono Osteria. All right, here we are on a Sunday evening in bustling downtown Gibsons. I'm at Buono Osteria with two people after having spent a few hours here, very fortunately staging, joining the kitchen team, which was my first time in a kitchen in a long time. So, Chef and Ryan, thanks very much for making that happen. I had a really fun night. My pleasure, thanks for coming out. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Let's start with what just happened. We were just talking about the big night that you guys just had. It was not only a busy night on your regular menu, but you had a long table dinner, a specialized dinner. So, just tell the listeners about that. What was tonight all about? Right, so tonight was, a long table dinner that we were featuring BC gins. So what we did is we took five local producers, gin producers, and we paired it with five dishes, all dishes that were kind of specially produced to go with each gin. Nice, nice. And there was, I love hearing stories about this. We were just sort of having a chuckle because the, the panic of the moment was over, but we faced a challenge because we had a few extra people show up, both, both on the long table and in the, uh, was tonight busier on the regular menu than a regular Sunday? Yeah, and uh, yeah. it just that's just the way that it goes, right? Yeah. There, there's certain nights when you want to be busy and it's not, and then there's other nights when it is busy and you don't want it to be busy, and that just happened to be the night tonight. So we had a long table dinner. We only had three reservations in the book, uh, and so we we're anticipating being able to give a lot of attention to detail to our dinner and not be so hard pressed on the front side uh, and the back side with a busy restaurant and. That's just how Murphy's Law works out sometimes, right? So like we had our, our long table dinner and then all of a sudden, four tops, six top, eight people, two people, <laughs> holy, the restaurant's full and we're executing a dinner at the same time. Not to mention there's extra people showing up who are not supposed to show up for the ticket dinner. And these are just the challenges that you face when you're running a restaurant. You just gotta be quick on your feet, try to project grace under chaos and not let mistakes make it to the customer. Right, and, and I think that's a key point. And you know what, even from my observation in the kitchen, although I didn't see all of the components going into the long table dinner to the gin dinner, but really the team was just on it. There, it, it didn't, there was never a feeling of panic in the back of house. Yeah, no, we're really fortunate uh, with the group of people that we have. We came together a year ago and you know, when we opened the restaurant, we have the same team that we had uh, from day one till today. So we've developed this amazing chemistry a lot of that, I think, goes back to our hiring practices of choosing to hire people not just based on their skill or ability, but mostly on their personality and how they work together with the group. Right. So by, you know, carefully selecting people who have common personalities, it makes it very easy for us to work together without getting stressed out or anybody getting frustrated. We all have a very easygoing kind of personality, and then because of that, when we get into situations like tonight, it's just a matter of just falling back on who we are as a person and just going with it as it goes. Right, it's, and just rolling with it. Yeah, it's emotional competency over technical skill. 
But it also it also comes down to a top-down effect. Mike's a very good leader. He's very calm and composed, and the people underneath him feed off of his energy. Right. right. So he's really good at dealing with things that are coming at him on the fly. Sure. Uh, he's very very well prepared in any scenario, but uh, which allows him to be able to think on his feet, and that just helps the team uh, project a sense of confidence and calm when you're not freaking out yourself. Right. Absolutely. You know what? I had one on, a, on an earlier episode. I was talking to a, a friend of mine from law school of all places, and he's a big foodie. So, and he would go to Burdock and Co. in Vancouver a lot, where where I cooked for a while, and know the team. And he was saying on a super busy night, he saw Andrea. You know, he, he saw the staff looking to her for sort of guidance. And he said the analogy that came to mind for him was a Ferrari. And he said, you know, when a Ferrari hits 100 miles an hour, it doesn't feel like it's wobbling and out of exactly control. It. it actually settles down That's into right. the groove and does what it's supposed to do. Right. Well, I, I can relate to that because when I first started working with Mike, uh, I actually worked with him in the Cascade Room, which is a couple doors down from Burdock. Right, Co. yeah, of course. And uh, I'd always worked on the front side, never so much in the kitchen, and desired the desire to get some kitchen experience. So I was working for him in Garmanger uh, at the Cascade Room in the lowest position, and I knew all my dishes uh, and was fine on a slow night. But when things started hitting the fan, I'd be freaking out. I'd have all these bills in front of me, trying to remember what's going on. And I would just look over to Mike and his sous chef. And I call it like reading the matrix because there's just like, there's a stack of paper coming out of the screen. And it never stops. And then you just have Mike and, and Pete working there just simultaneously, like they're one organism. And uh, pans are moving, flames are flying, things are getting plated. But so they're moving super fast, but there's this like sense of calm over top of them, right? right? They're not that they, they don't need to speak to communicate, and it's just it's just uh, they're in a flow state, and it's just something that's just remarkable to be a part of eventually, but also to witness like when you're when you're not quite there. It's an organized dance for sure. An organized right. dance. You know, yeah. it takes like a certain level of chemistry. You you only develop that after a while of working with somebody where you know kitchens are we program the people that work in kitchens to be robotic do the same step every time, don't ever deviate from the process. And because of that, you know that I'm gonna do this step, and then this step, and then this step, and then you just read and react. But it seems to be a critical part of that, and something you've got here is consistency in the team, yeah. right? Because, of course, talented and experienced people can step into roles, but there is some serious magic when you've been working with people for a long time. So, so you know where, when that pan is gonna leave yeah. that burner, and you know that you can come in behind it. So how has that, uh, because frankly, that seems unusual to me to have the same team from- Yeah, well, you know, from a big part of it was just, um, trying to create an environment that was different than a traditional kitchen. Because you know, I've been in this industry for a long time and it was very hard, it was a very hard industry, it was very critical. You know, a lot of times there was, you know, backstabbing or sabotage to gain elevation in the stay in the team. So what we have here is a bunch of individuals, we all operate on the same level. I might be the chef, they might be the cook, but when it comes down to it, we're just a team, we work together. We keep it light, we keep it happy. We're here for more than just money. We create a good work environment. A lot of these guys, you know, Nova was uh, a restaurant owner. She had her own restaurant and catering company for eight years. Ryan, you know, he's been a chef in the industry for like 15 years. Steve has worked for 10, 12 years. So we're all pretty experienced veterans in that regard. Yeah. So there's not a lot of ego. You know, we're not here because we're trying to be next greatest thing we're all here for each other we're here because we want to work together in an environment that's fun and easygoing where we're not 
understaffing and overworking people. Right. So we're creating an environment that's you know sustains longevity, right? Yeah. We, we know that in order for us to succeed as a business, well, we have to make it past a year or two years or three years. We want to be 10 years, 15 years. How do you do that? You know, find a way to create longevity, and because you have longevity, you'll retain staff. What do you guys see as the difference between, if there are differences, I suspect there are, between operating on the coast in Gibsons and operating in the city? Is there anything that stands out from, I mean, apart from, I guess the obvious would be lease rates, like the overhead might be a little sure. more manageable here than in, you know, downtown Vancouver, but yeah. any other differences you There's a huge, there's a huge amount of differences, yeah. right? Yeah. A few of them that I would notice, one, the labor pool is a lot smaller, sure. right? so you're dealing with a lot a lot less people to pick from. Uh, competition is a lot less. You know, our business model, this type of Italian restaurant, wood fire pizza, fresh pasta, is a standalone out here, whereas in Vancouver there's a number of different types that are just like us, that are just as good or better. The other thing that's different is the clientele are extremely different. They're very uneducated, not in a you know derogative way, but they just don't know. You right. know, they're very used to just going home, having their dinners, not coming out much. So, you know, like we spoke before, a word like osteria is confusing to some people because they just don't understand what it what it entails. So, what we've taken on is uh, having to educate our clientele in a way where we are teaching them new things that they will like. You know, have you ever had an Amaro-based cocktail? Well, what's an Amaro? Right. I don't know. Okay, well, you know what, why don't you try this? And all of a sudden they like it. They start to trust you and from that, you know, they start to kind of educate themselves through what we're doing and in terms of becoming more, uh, you know, interested in our kind of restaurant. Whether you're somebody walking in off the street with sandals and a tank top on, or you have a nice shirt on, everybody gets the same treatment. So there's no ego, there's no entitlement or anything like that. And you, you know what, I should have started with this question, but I realized we, we because I just wanted to dive into tonight, but let's back it up a bit. And I'd like to hear from each of you about, about what Buono is. Like, Chef, walk us through, he said pizza, pasta. Sure, well, um, I mean, so Buono, Buono is, is, is my family. Sure. Buono, when it starts out, it is the root core, is, is what I grew up doing, this type of food, you know, the, the Sunday sauce was something that we did every week. Eating the pizza, making it from scratch was something that we did every week. So to right. me, this was a way for me to kind of pay homage to my culture and my tradition of what we do. It was also an opportunity for me to bring a concept that I felt would work in this community, making food that was a little bit more casual. I knew that when it came time for me to open up my own concept, I had to do something that was not just for me, but would cater to the masses. So creating a concept that was a little bit uh, less expensive, it catered to a larger group of people, would allow us to kind of be a little bit more successful. Bono is a family place where people can come off the street, a neighborhood restaurant. Uh, you know, we want to have, and we do have a lot of regulars where we can just call them out by name and we know them and they come in and we don't even have to ask them what they want. Oh, you know what they're we having. We already know what they're having. Yeah. They just sit down. We just feed them, and it's that kind of place. It's got a great feel to it. So Ryan, maybe you can talk to the, the front of house experience and what you're trying to provide to the customer here. Well, at the end of the day, this is a, a chef-driven restaurant, right? It's food-driven, it's an open kitchen. The special thing about this place is that we can all operate on the same energy, whereas traditionally, chef is in the back of the restaurant, doesn't get to see what's going on, and has to trust that, the, that everything is going as according to plan as he feels back there. So one of the things that is important to me is that we are all able to make eye contact at the same time, right? So we're all part of the experience. It's not just the front of the house. If I'm busy at a table, 
Mike is greeting people at the door. If we're rammed the other night, Mike is pouring water for people. So right. it's a really all-inclusive, it's an all-inclusive experience. Uh, in terms of front of house, what we try to do is have an elevated level of service here without entitlement. So you can come in for a chef's tasting menu with wine pairings, we're able to do that for you. Or you can come drink a $4.50 beer and split a margarita pizza and be out the door for $35. You know, like we say, and I like to tell people this, because like what Ryan was saying is, you know, when I decided I was going to have a restaurant, I never would ever want to be just behind a wall. You know, for me, it's important as an owner to be able to see and greet every customer that comes in, thank every customer that goes out. So we say we literally remove the wall between the front and back house. Exactly. Well, and one of the things I noticed when I was watching Ryan fire the pizzas tonight is that sometimes he would open up the the wooden window out to the street, right? And I've noticed that walking past in the summer. So not only is it open internally, but totally. you're, you're open to the neighborhood. And right? people will come and they'll just, oh, yeah. they'll just park themselves <laughs> in the window. Oh, and, God. And sometimes it's good and sometimes yeah, it's not. Yeah, sometimes it's not good. Sometimes we've got the creepers coming in. Right. Yeah, but you know, a lot of the times it's an opportunity for us to kind of engage people that maybe would have never come through the door, but they're excited to see. They pop their head in, all of a sudden they see this beautiful oven with wood burning and a guy making these pizzas and they're a little bit engaged. And one of the things that I'm most proud of, speaking on what we were just talking about in this restaurant, is that what we've achieved so far in this year is that we've broken down that barrier between front and back of house as much as I've ever seen before. And that's something that I really cherish because we're all we're all friends. Like everybody goes out for drinks together after. Uh, there's no animosity between the cooks and the servers. We have a tip pool. Our cooks are tipped out at a much larger rate than any industry standard ever. And the service staff, when they come in, they appreciate how hard everyone has to work back there. Yeah, that was a big, big part of like, I guess like you said, chef-driven concept is that I believe one of the failures in this industry is that the people who work the most hours are often paid the least. Right. I mean, you can attest to that right. as a yep. cook, right? Yeah, absolutely. As, as yeah. the guys, you know, we don't we don't hate the waiters, but they come in and, you know, we are slaving away 10, 12 hours a day, hot kitchen, stressful sure. environment, and they often would make, you know, less than half or a third of what the guy that comes in that works four hours makes. Right. So what we wanted to do was create a system that had less disparity between front and back, and then that way it made it a little bit more even, makes it easier to retain your cooks because they make a little bit more money, right. they feel a little bit better, they feel more appreciated. Yes. Uh, the waiters, they still do well, but it's just a, you know, makes their job easier when the food is great, and sure. every customer is happy when well, you get tips more. So it's kind of a cyclic thing. Yeah, now, yeah so. and it feeds on itself. And I've got to say, of, of every restaurant that I've been to, been a part of, or talked to, that is probably the biggest problem to solve is the front of house back sure. of house equation right totally. and there's there's restaurants i know in new york that have tried and here uh in there's one on the island i remember that have tried like the gratuity in and all these different models and it's it's a hard nut to crack totally. right totally. but it sounds like you guys have got a handle on it here well we're definitely you know it, it definitely made it challenging at the beginning because a lot of sure. people who are used to a traditional system were not necessarily satisfied you know what do you mean that 50 dollars tip that that guy gave me doesn't go to me you know it goes to everybody but it's it's the same as you know the guy that runs the long table dinner that gets $600 tip tonight well that doesn't go to him it goes to everybody everybody we all win when everybody does well yeah and it makes it to your point makes it sustainable about retaining cooks right which is just a sure sure I mean those guys you know like getting a you know a tip of normally would be this amount it's it's triple that amount which is still not a lot compared to a waiter but for them they see it as you know 
a little bit of extra money that helps them on a day-to-day basis sure. so we're and happy to give out and yeah and it's validation yeah. right so like they, these these guys are yeah I, I observe that they're working hard and another thing is, is i believe that when you're given praise on a daily you know every time we get a customer that leaves they come up to the kitchen and they go hey that was a great meal yeah. That's just a little pat on the back that you get every Absolutely. day. When you work in a closed kitchen, you don't get that. Well, let's back up a little bit further and talk uh, for both of you. And Chef, let's start with you about your background in uh, the culinary field generally. And right. it, it, it certainly sounds like it's it's been from sort of uh, from birth growing up in your family. Sure, Food has sure. been an important thing. And then formally you studied at... Uh, SAIT, so Southern yeah, Southern right. Alberta Institute of Technology. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so tell us about that whole You know, it's a funny story because I I graduated high school and I went to university at UBC and I played football and you know, I thought that my life path was supposed to be one in, you know, the financial world like my family was. Everybody has an education in the university and you know, I realized that at one point that that just wasn't for me. Yeah. It wasn't something I wanted to do, so I kind of fell back on what I felt I was good at and that was food. And I and I realized that I had kind of been training to be a chef since I was a little kid. Sure. You know, I didn't understand it until later in my life that, you know, when my dad would pull me into the kitchen and he would say, Mike, come taste the sauce. Tell me what it needs. Does it need salt? Is it spicy? Is it garlic? What does it need? And then all of a sudden I realized that my entire life I've been developing a palate learning to recognize flavors, intensities, and adjustments, and how to make food taste good. That was just something that just came naturally to me because it was just something that we did on a daily basis. From there, I kind of started working at, uh, I was 18 years old, and I was uh, decided that I wasn't gonna be you know, a financial advisor, I was gonna be a cook. Yep. So I went and I got a job at uh, White Spot. Yeah. And yeah. I realized that, you know, a lot like sports, kitchens were very similar. So they had uh, a team camaraderie, it had the adrenaline rush, it had the intensity that you get in sports, which is something that I did in my entire life. So I felt very comfortable in that environment. From there I went to school and uh, it just fell naturally to me. I didn't have to study, I didn't have to read. Everything I did, it just stuck with me and I just got it. It just came very, very easily. So I felt very good about it. And uh, I graduated the first in my class, which was an accomplishment, you know, coming from awesome. a school where, you know, I didn't really do well in university because I wasn't a book-based person. I realized that, and I realized that my learning style was much more hands-on. Right. I left uh, school in Calgary, and I went and worked at the Mission Hill Winery in Kelowna. And that's kind of where my love for fine cuisine kind of began. So I had the fortunate opportunity to work under some pretty great chefs there that kind of develop my skills and kind of refine my habits in a way that prepared me to go into the workforce. I kind of hit my wall in Vancouver and I recognized that, you know, I, I wasn't gonna get anywhere as a chef in Vancouver. I was never gonna be able to afford a home or a great lifestyle because the money is just not- Just doesn't add up. Just doesn't yeah. add up. So uh, I had the opportunity to move and I sent my resumes to Tofino and to Comox and Victoria and to the Sunshine Coast and I got a job offer to be the executive chef at the Rockwater Resort just down at the end of uh, the coast there where I took that opportunity with kind of the end goal of a three-year plan to be 
finding a business to own eventually. Right. So two right. years into my work out here, this restaurant became available. Okay. And it was kind of like a diamond in the rough, you know, when we came and everybody knows that restaurants are location, location, location. This place is sitting on the water, 360 views of the harbor. You can never change that. So we walked right. in here and it was, uh, it was a dive. Yeah. You know, for 20 years, and yeah. it had been run by the same guy, and it had a funny smell. And, right. and, you, uh, you had to throw open the windows for a bit? Oh, for, for three months, Ryan and I renovated this restaurant with the help of some great local companies. And, um, you know, we are very proud to say that we didn't just pay for this business, that we put in hundreds and hundreds of hours of building it into the space that it is today. And Ryan, give us your background because I find it interesting. You're, you know, I see you because I see you doing the front of house thing here, but I know you've got back of house training and you've got a background in management as well, I think, right? So, yeah. you, so tell us about all of those and, and what brought you here to Gibson's and uh, um, end of this partnership. Well, I mean, I, I grew up in the hospitality industry, so to speak. I was born into a bakery business. So literally my mother would uh, take us from our bed, sleeping at 4.30 in the morning, and uh, strap us into either my younger brothers to our car seats, and to me, just like the regular seat and seatbelt, drive us to the bakery, put us in cots down in the basement, back to sleep, go upstairs and start her bake. Start and then the we wake up, she'd make our breakfast, and we walk across the street and go to school. Wow. So that was my childhood. Yeah. And from there, I started working with an uncle who owned a cafe, a bagel cafe in uh, a jazzy town of Guelph, uh, Ontario. And that's really where I learned a lot of my work ethic, especially the work ethic that it takes to run a restaurant. I was 11 years old, making five bucks an hour. I had to, anybody who asked, I had to tell them I was 14, which was the legal age, uh, which was not a convincing thing because I was, uh, I maybe looked like I was seven. Um, and from there, I started working as a dishwasher at a convention center when I was 15 years old. Uh, just like a lot of people get their start in this in this industry as a dishwasher, uh, you learn so many things in that position. And I basically worked there for 10 years. So mixed in <clears throat> with the convention center, uh, I also owned my own business, went to school, um, uh, studied management uh, at the University of Toronto and uh, eventually worked my way up to a GM, one of the GMs of the convention center. And eventually, I just felt like I was hitting a plateau out there. I owned my home, I had a marriage that had ended, which is always not the best thing. I just felt like I had checked off all the boxes that you need to check off by a certain age. And for some reason, still wasn't happy, you know? Like I owned a house that looked like all the other houses on the street, right. with a nice car in the driveway, and uh, it just wasn't fulfilled from all of that. And so what else was I supposed to do? And so career-wise, I decided that uh, I looked at all the people who I admired in our business and other restaurants through contacts and anybody who is in my position or in a higher position of ownership or senior management all had this intimate knowledge of the kitchen. And so they understood food costs, they understood the labor, and most importantly, uh, what I think is one of the most important attributes in this business, especially when you're running it, is empathy, right? So they had, uh, it doesn't matter if they had people underneath them, they understood what their day was like, right? So they had worked, they had worked those 13 hour shifts, chopping onions, doing what right. the chef says, having to stay after hours, work overtime, all of that kind of stuff. And this is something that I was not familiar with and desired because when I was out explaining a dish or talking to somebody about food or selling a wedding package, 
I was just a parrot to what the chef had told me and never actually understood the cooking methods. I remember there was a time I embarrassed myself trying to explain what a braise was and completely fumbled it and messed it up. Like, I won't even say, like, what I said, but they called me out on it. And that, that's when I learned, like, be careful who you're talking to because sure, you never know sure. what they yeah. know. So, yeah, I basically resigned from the convention center, sold my house. I built a food trailer and so I built, bought a trailer and converted it into a commercial kitchen and basically compacted my life into this small space and a truck and headed out west in search of opportunity and adventure. Wow. So were, were you operating it as a business? No, as you were, no. no I you mean, it, was just, like, it was a test kitchen, okay. you know? Like, so basically what it was is uh, I was looking to, I'd sell my home and I was looking to what it cost to rent out here for a year. Right. I had enrolled at Northwest Culinary Academy, which is on Main and 12, just across the street from the Cascade Room. Yeah. And um, basically, what well, my research told me I'd have to spend about $18,000 on rent for the year. And uh, to me, I was like, wow, that seems like a lot of money because um, I had a mortgage before and I always owned my home. And I said, well, I think I could do something more fun with this. Uh, so I took that same budget and built a trailer. Kitted out a trailer. Just, yeah, Love and it. just the, whatever remainder, I put in the fixed cost of the rent at a trailer park yeah. and brought it out here. And I figured at the end of the day, if I could just sell that trailer, I'd be further ahead than I would have been renting a right. space with a roommate. Not to mention, I could have a cool commercial oven in there and deep fryer and flat top and all this fun stuff all to practice stuff. my cooking. Sure, maybe, while you're going to maybe school. Maybe I could have a couple of fun parties in there while we're at it, right? Yeah. Uh, so it was essentially my test kitchen. And uh, so yeah, I drove it out here, enrolled in culinary school, and because I've been in the industry for so long, I knew that schooling is not going to be, is not going to teach me all the things I wanted to do in a year. And the most important thing was experience. So I thought the most the thing that made the most sense is to walk across the street to a nice restaurant, try to get a job there, and. Luckily enough, Mike no, hired me. No, tell him the real story. <laughs> What's the real story? What's the real story? Oh, this sounds good. The real story is he went to the restaurant next door next to the restaurant. Oh, yeah, that's true, that's true, that's true. Jeez, I totally and, forgot about that. And the chef there was like, you seem like too keen to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he walked yeah. him through the alley that's through right, the back right. door, and it was Charlie's Little Italian, which was an yeah, affiliate restaurant right. to the Cascade. Oh, right, 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 yeah. Story. And he yeah. came in and was like, I got this guy here, but you know, I think he's gonna be too good for us. <laughs> That's right. That's he's got his, too much he energy. He's like his his chef tie, <laughs> yes. his, his apron, and his belt. Eager. And we were like, look at this newbie. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, it's so we true. That was hilarious. But it's so true. This guy's gonna peel potatoes so, till the, you know, the sun came in, and right away we recognized, I recognized, <laughs> insane potential. Because you know what? I've worked a long time, I've seen a lot of cooks, but there's not people who are willing to do what it takes to be great. Ryan, right away, I recognized, was willing to do the grunt work, put in the time, and and had the grind that it took to be a great cook. So right. when I got the opportunity to come out to the West Coast, one, I knew that his life was mobile. Liter yeah, literally. Literally. <laughs> yeah, literally. So I'm like, I have this opportunity for you. I think it's going to be great because you literally can just close your door and drive out. Yeah. Let's talk about the food. Why, I, I, Chef, walk us through sure. a couple of dishes here. I know pizza is a big thing. I know yep. pasta is a big thing. I just had the cacio e pepe, which yep. was fantastic. Maybe start there because sure, I love absolutely. that dish because it's so simple, but it is so bloody good. You know what? It <laughs> is uh, the first time that I ever heard about that dish actually was watching uh, No Reservations with Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. And, he, and he was just so high on that, is he was sitting in Rome and he was saying, when you come to Rome, you gotta eat the Roman food, you eat this Roman dish. This Roman dish, cacio e pepe. It's literally two ingredients, black pepper and pecorino romano. Mm -hmm. 
and it's this marriage of simplicity that creates this amazing flavor. And I think that's kind of Italian food in a nutshell. Simple ingredients done very well. So what we do with this dish is we start out with uh, toasting the peppercorns in the pan until they become fragrant. And then we, what we add is the pasta water, which has the natural starches from the noodles in it. That creates a nice slurry consistency that we cook the noodles in the pan primarily, less in the pasta water, more in the pan. That creates kind of a starchy slurry that when we mount it with the cheese creates a nice creamy sauce. So what we do that's maybe a little bit different than the traditional cacio e pepe is we like to top it with uh, black truffle paste. Yes, so the black truffle <laughs> that never hurts. It's <laughs> kind of a, like the icing on the cake. All of a sudden you have a great dish and then you add something that just blows the umami out of the water, right? So the first time that I ever, you know, made that dish in a restaurant was at the Cascade Room and we were using fresh Perigord truffles from France and we were shaving it over top of the pasta. And I probably ate that dish five out of seven days that week and I just fell in love with it. And it was one of those simplicity things that just had such a high satisfaction rate. I think as a chef, when you're constantly tasting food that's good, your ability to really enjoy something goes way down because right. you're just hitting that that pleasure button over and All over and time. over again. Yeah. So yeah. when you find something that you know brings you that kind of level of joy, yeah. uh, you know you know that everybody else is just going to absolutely just gonna love, love it. it as well. Yeah. Do you think that's why cooks go for like I think at the end of service and we go out sometimes quite often we yeah. go out after. Um, after service, have a beer and some food, and it was always the simplest food. Like go to places that do it well, yep. but the simplest, like yeah. chicken karage or totally. you know poutine, whatever. What right? I mean, but just, it's just high yeah. satisfaction. Yeah. I mean, that's why you know yeah. you talk to every cook, and they're like, "Well, what do you eat?" And they're like, "Well, I love instant ramen, right. all yeah. these things that are just <laughs> really mustard. like really strong, <laughs> really high salt, really like high mm -hmm. satisfaction because you just don't." get that very much anymore because you're constantly overloading your palate with right. food that tastes sure. good. Can you tell us about the pizza oven? I was talking to sure, Ryan sure. about it and uh, man, that is a thing of it's a, it beauty and the beast. It's huge. It is, yeah. yeah. So we <laughs> uh, we actually built that oven in place. It was too big to come in through the door. Right. So it came in in pieces and we, uh, we cemented it in place. It is a beast and you know, it's a funny story with that oven because, you know, we decided that the oven was gonna go where it was. You know, we just decided based on the location of the kitchen that it had to go there. Luckily enough, right above the oven was an air duct out of the building. <laughs> yeah. So naturally, when we went to vent it, there was already an air duct right above right exactly where we wanted to put it. So it almost seemed like fate. It comes from California. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it can do about five pizzas at a time. You know, we're not necessarily skilled enough to do that yet, but uh, we're working towards it. What we do is... We burn wood and a combination of gas. So the gas helps bring the temperature up. The wood helps get you that intensity and the flavor that you're looking for. It's not only just for pizzas. You know, a lot of people think, oh, pizza oven is just for pizzas. What else can we do with it? Well, we roast vegetables, we char vegetables. You know, we've cooked whole fish in there. We've cooked, uh, you know, all kinds of cuts of meat. It gives you an amazing intensity of heat that you just can't get necessarily in any other of the cooking equipment that we have. Yeah, no, it's gorgeous. I was watching Ryan like turn the pizzas, hold them up. To yeah, the, you know what? It's, it's the roof. eight months ago. I'd never cooked a pizza in a commercial kitchen. It's true, yeah. right? I'd only done it at home. Nobody so, wanted to give him a stage. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> I, you know, I no. like I tried to get a stage at Via Tavera in Vancouver. I was like, yeah. I want to learn how to make pizza. I just, you know, I'm like, I'm just want some reps. I'm not trying to steal anything. Yeah. I just, I just want to come in and just practice, right? And they're like, No, you can't. Come. <laughs> and I'm like, Okay, like that's that's fine. That's fine. So. Over the course of the year, we 
developed uh, recipes and a system and everything that worked for us. And it took a little bit of time to understand that, you know, cooking a pizza at home is not anywhere comparable to what we're doing here. So you're actually cooking it on four different levels all at the same time. You're cooking the base, you're cooking all around the crust, and you're cooking the top of the pizza, right? So you're watching, you're constantly evaluating where are we at. Oh, you see a little bit of blistering, you rotate, you rotate, you're checking the bottom, you're lifting it up. So by lifting it up, the top of the dome is actually, you know, maybe 400 degrees hotter than the base of the oven. Right. So by right. doing that, it's almost like putting yeah. it into the top of the broiler, right? Right. Yeah, you're, you're getting that sear, that you're cooking the top. Yeah. It's a very, very amazing piece. Not only is it aesthetically beautiful, you know, uh, when people walk in, they're just captivated by the fire. You see them and they just stare at it. Oh, it's, yeah. just, it's an amazing thing. It's also completely unique out here. There's not many places on the coast that can speak to what we do in terms of that. You know, going back to what we talk about, the differences between Vancouver and the coast. Well, people out here are used to Pizza Hut. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're used to yeah. thick, thick dough. You can pick it up and hold it like a cardboard. Why is it so That's floppy? what they want, Why right? So they're not used to all? Neapolitan. In Italy, they eat pizza right. with a knife and fork. They right. don't pick it up. They don't eat it like that. So our dough is very, very light and very, very airy and very, very different from traditionally done low temperature baked pizzas. Right. So yeah. we had to kind of educate the people to understand that this is how we do it. This is a little bit different. This is why, you know, your pizza is softer in the middle because how we cook it, the style of pizza. Right, <laughs> right, right. Well, and it seems like, and, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but people are, are catching on to it. Now. Yeah, people, absolutely. Yeah. It okay. took a little yeah. bit of time and they yeah. were like, we don't get it. And, and part in part was you know, that we were improving in ourselves. Sure. You know, all yeah. of a sudden, you know, we have this dough that is so finicky and not as manageable to going to something that is highly replicatable. So we all of a sudden now we have a product that we feel is better than, much better than day one. You know, funny story, not many people know this story, but we did uh, two days of soft openings where we brought family and friends in. My family, they're foodies and they're very critical people because that's why we're good at what we do. Yeah. They basically wrote me a five page letter and they told me you can't open until you fix these things. These things. You know, well, so, good on them. Yeah, absolutely. For being straight up with you. Yeah. I mean, that's just how they are. Yeah. I mean, my dad is a coach and mm-hmm. he understands to be successful, you gotta make changes and you know, adjust and do yeah. those kind of things. So we came in and you know, I stressed pretty hard for a couple of days and figured out, racked my brain, what was going on. You know, first day I had a guy working in the pasta station all the pasta came out gummy, you know? And we were like, we were like, the pasta was terrible, it was gummy. I'm like, I don't understand because I cooked this myself and eaten it and it's been amazing. Yeah, yeah. Little difference between he didn't boil the water. So you had the pasta cooker going, but the water wasn't boiling. Right. So the noodles I mean, weren't agitated. Yeah, so, the starch so they wasn't start, off, right? yeah, clumping Little together. things like that and yeah. adjusting that process, you know, was nerve wracking because you think you're good at something and all of a sudden, People tell you that this is terrible, right? So, right. The beautiful thing about that whole approach was the the soft open, right? Because it gave us an opportunity to put a to put a a product out, receive feedback, and then adjust the course from there. Right. Just one quick question for you on the bar program. How are you finding that? Because when I came here first, I knew about it because of Rob, who yep. I knew from Campagnolo upstairs yep. in Vancouver, yep. and he was here in the early days uh, helping out with the bar program here. How are you finding the reception to what seems to me to be a very full-on cocktail program here? How is that landing on the coast in, and in the community? I really think that it makes us unique. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that when you're down here, 
if you're looking for craft cocktails, you're going to come to Guano. You're not going to go to really any of the other places around here. Every single place has a certain standouts. We're lucky enough to have a couple. One, obviously, is the food. Uh, fresh made pasta every day, Neapolitan-style pizza, but a whole other element is the craft cocktails. And a lot of that is thanks in part to Rob Scope, who came out here and started our program for us. Uh, Mike and I, and Mike more than myself, has had a working history with Rob because he was the bar manager at Cascade when Mike was the executive chef, and then I worked underneath him. And we had actually talked about it for a long time, like, hey, if we ever open a restaurant, wouldn't it be amazing if we could get Rob out here? Yeah. And uh, it just so happened that uh, the opportunity lined up. He came out, opened it up. He trained his... Luke Skywalker. We, we, right. call him, we call him Yoda. We call Brian the Luke Skywalker. Did everything that he said he was going to do and set us up in the right way. Educated myself uh, and all the people around him and then finished his contract and left us in a very good position where we could carry on and keep going like what he started here, which is like a really original craft cocktail menu. Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing is that when, when I developed the concept, one, I knew that we were going to bring food that didn't exist out here. Wood-fired pizzas didn't really exist here. Fresh pasta didn't really exist out here. And I also knew that cocktails did not exist out here. So I knew that when I opened this restaurant that we were gonna have cocktails. We were gonna bring something to the coast that didn't exist. How can we be unique and a standout, you know, different than all the other restaurants that are here? We gotta bring something that doesn't exist. So we brought you know, local spirits, we brought Amaro's, we brought whiskey, we brought all these things that, that didn't exist. We brought a guy in who was super skillful at what he did. It was very easy for me. I'd said to Rob, Rob, make me an Amaro-based cocktail program with local beers, BC wine, and Italian wine. Right. He was like, great. I was like, do your thing. Go to it, yeah. You're the, you're the expert. Yeah. Like, I love what you do because I've been drinking your drinks for years. Just do what you do, you know? And it was like, it's great because there's a few things on there that are little, little like toast to him and I. You know, there was a drink on our menu called the Buono Bardier. You know, it's a rift on a boulevard. <laughs> boulevard yeah, yeah. So when I used to sit after work at the Cascade Room and I was a total green rookie, I didn't know anything about cocktails. I'd sit there and I'd say, Rob, make me a drink. Make me a drink. Take me through the repertoire. Educate me. Show me. So he knew that as a chef, I had a desire for flavor intensity. So he would make, he knew that I also like bourbon. So yep. he would make me a Boulevardier, which is just a classic cocktail with bourbon, vermouth, and Campari. But what he would do is he would make me a, it with overproof Booker's bourbon. So a really <laughs> high test alcohol bourbon. He would use Putemes vermouth, which is a really high flavor vermouth, and Campari. And it just made a classic drink that was on, you know, another level. Right. Those kind right. of things. So when he opened here, I'm like, we got to have this. We got to have that on the menu. <laughs> we're going to call it the Buona Vardier yep. because it's literally like a fun rift on a classic cocktail that just, you know, is very personal to me and that people absolutely love. And the last question, and I, this is a feeling that I have. We moved here in October of, uh, well, December really of 2017. So we've been here about a year and a half. I really feel that the coast, newcomer though I am, it feels to me like the coast is on a tipping point, that things are changing here in a big way. Yeah. I think this restaurant is part of that. I think there are other examples of that, you know, the craft brewery across the street, the yeah. one up the road a bit. Yeah. Do, you guys, do you guys feel that too? Do you have that same sense yeah. that I do, that things are really, the coast isn't gonna be the same anymore? No, we, we absolutely feel that. I think that when we, we are on kind of a five-year plan, whereas we knew that coming into this that we were a little bit of ahead of where we were, and then we knew that when things like the 
the hotel down the street is built, that that was going to change the, the face of this town. And from that, we were going to get new people with the housing market in Vancouver being the way it is, yeah. you're getting new people. You're starting to get people who have a taste for Vancouver with a lifestyle of the Sunshine Coast. Exactly. Right. So we right. knew that, you know, although it would take a bit of work to educate the people that live here to the concept that we're providing, we knew that with time that we would be kind of right where we wanted to be. Yeah. You can't you can't uh, you can't help but see the natural migration of resources that are coming here from the city, uh, and it's just going to happen when the housing market is like it is and businesses like it is out there. And we've recognized that, and that's what gave us the concept to take such a risk. Right, this is a very right. risky thing to take on. Of course, it is. Yeah. yeah. But we we take uh, solace in the fact that uh, things are changing here, and everybody can see it. You know, like there's a, there's a, a table of two out here, just tonight who came out and they said they were celebrating something special and I said great what is it like what anniversary is it that sort of thing I said I reckon I sold them on when she made the reservation I sold them on the tasting menu since it was such a special night and I was like is it your birthday is your anniversary and they said no we're tired of Vancouver we're coming over to we're the Sunshine coming to Coast the, uh, and I'm trying beautiful. to convince my husband so we're trying to make a good experience right and right. as they left they're like thank you very much they're like it's yeah. just another reason for us to come out here so here. I think that part and parcel is uh, an experience that a lot of people are feeling you know and for us we feel so fortunate because in Vancouver we would never be able to have what we have here right we'd yeah, never we be able to have same. a waterfront sure. location yeah. With 2,800 square feet, yeah. with an open kitchen, you know, in the heart of downtown. Really? I imagine that industry folks are going to be delighted you're oh, here. Man, <laughs> us, you know, it's, a, it's really amazing because we're all so different and everybody understands that we all get a piece of the pie. Yeah. Nobody wants everybody in their restaurant every night. Sure. We all want everybody to come out once or twice a month to each restaurant sort yep. of thing. And uh, it just feels amazing when we can have relationships with places like Smitty's, uh, Lunita's, Nagomi, wherever it is, any of these places, and we all support each other. Like, we were in there today having some drinks. All the staff, once they finished at Smitty's, were over on table 25 tonight right. having some stuff. Stafford. It's a fun industry. Yeah. There's a, it's an amazingly close. It's kind close. of like we're like a nouveau whistler in a way. Right? Sure, we have yeah. this like small, kind of walkable community Absolutely, where there's a yeah. bunch of different restaurants yeah. all within the close yeah. area, and we're all very comfortable and close with each yeah. other. and. You know, we know that when we go sit at his bar, he's going to come sit at our bar. Sure. Yeah. And everybody yeah. repays the favor. Well, listen, gentlemen, thanks so much for not only for doing this interview, which is uh, which is wonderful. I'm super grateful, but for having me in the kitchen today. I really yeah, appreciate thanks it. thanks for coming. We appreciate the free labor. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime. No, it was, yeah. you know what, we, we enjoyed having you. It was a unique day. Not traditional to what we do on an everyday basis, but... No, it was uh, a perfect day for you to come out. Yeah, it was good to see that, you know, we are kind of doing things that are different out here and Absolutely. hopefully you know making a trend for for new businesses to come i think so yeah awesome thanks guys cheers i had such a great time both cooking in the kitchen at buono and catching up after service with mike and with ryan thanks guys for taking the time to do that and thanks to your whole crew for making me feel so welcome i can't wait to come back for another helping of the cachui pepe and thanks to all of you for joining me here for the podcast. It means a lot, and I'm happy to report we've got a growing community of listeners. I've heard from some of you, and I really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun to connect with people who have heard the show and who dropped me a line. You can do that, if you like, on Instagram or Facebook, or just send me an email to graham at chefdemoni.com. 
And please do take a moment to rate the show to give it a star rating, or if you like to write a review for the show, you can do that where you listen to Cheftimony, whether that's on iTunes or one of the other podcast apps. Reviews and ratings really do help other people to find the show, and I'm grateful to everyone who's taken the time to do that. Okay, that's all for today. I'm Graham McLennan. Thanks again for joining me, and I look forward to seeing you next time, right here on Cheftimony. Cheftimony.